Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In the second and final installment of our ninth episode, Graham McMillan and I reflect at length on the possible turning point that was San Diego Comic-Con 2010. If you hang around long enough, at the very end, we also throw in Doctor Who, The Venture Brothers, The Return of Bruce Wayne Number 4, The Artists of Grant Morrison, and what to make of the upcoming movie Sucker Punch. But, for better or for worse, it's mostly San Diego Comic-Con 2010 on our minds. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Did we have, like, a really big Comic-Con? We, we didn't really have a San Diego wrap-up talk on, like, on the podcast, right? I mean, apart from what no, we just no, sort of no, said. No, we, right? we really should. We should, uh, we should talk about our Comic-Cons and, and how exciting and action-packed they were. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, uh, listeners, we went to San Diego Comic-Con, and it was really interesting because... Hopefully, out of this, we'll be able to thrash out <clears throat> some sort of wide variation of the experience because I flew in on Tuesday night uh, and flew out on Thursday night and slept in... Uh, <laughs> and slept in. Just leave it there. And slept in, which hugely different from Graham right off the bat. Yeah, no, that that's certainly true. Yeah, but I, as, I've, as I've told you before, you, you did it right. <laughs> You know, you I, I, I I will say this about Comic Con, and this is my attempt at a wrap up. Mm-hmm. I think I I think I've said this to you in email before. I think this was the tipping point. I think this was I think this was the year that changes things. Mm-hmm. I, I just I honestly just get a feeling that this is the year that the comic sales actually started dropping, and that the other media people, instead of giving stuff away, sold stuff and took money away from comics. And I think that that's really going to impact next year. Interesting. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think they're really... I, I talked to so many people, uh, publishers and, and creators, who told me that their um, sales were significantly down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I can think of like one publisher who had the opposite experience, and that's it. Um, it felt like foot traffic was way down in the comic parts of the con mm-hmm. artist alley was i mean in the middle of nowhere it was all the way to the end and then you know there was no way foot traffic would get there unless you were specifically looking for it um it, it really felt like that this was the year that 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 comics were were shunted to the side um but at the same time i came away with lots of exciting interesting things and i saw lots of things that i was really interested in that i i hadn't previously seen mm-hmm. um so I, I i'm feeling like pessimistic and yet optimistic about other things in mm-hmm. terms of the comic portion of the con i mean if nothing else it's fascinating to me that it feels like there was no big comic news this year yeah i i agree i mean maybe there was something but i just kind of felt like nobody was kind of Nobody was even trying to sort of participate at that level. I think because they, um, my my two my two theories about that are that you know for the comic guys anything that they tried to announce would be totally and utterly swamped by all the you know the movie and media news, and so they just gave up. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there's an element of uh, they can't control the spin. You know, um, when you have when you have 
an announcement made into a, a room full of 800 people or, or you know, 1,200 people and 10% of them are, are Twittering, you know, at that very moment. That's like 120 people who are spinning that story any way that their, their 140 characters can take them. And it's not, it's not like you can have the people from the marketing people from DC or Marvel kind of like say, you know, sort of slap their wrist and say, you can't do that and we're going to cut off access if you do that again. You know what I mean? Well, what strikes me is, is again, saying fascinating because I'm just repeating words a lot. Uh, I love the way that DC rolls out their news now. DC rolls out their news the two weeks before the con, and they own the news cycle. Right. You know, if they did all the same announcements at San Diego the way that they used to do it, it would disappear. But by saying, you know, Pete Tomasi is taking over Batman and Robin, and it's the only thing that's happening the day, you know, the week before San Diego, because it will be, because other people are holding their announcements for San Diego, they own the news cycle. Right. Which is really, really smart. And I don't know if it's like someone has sat down and thought, wow, this is the best way to do it. Or they just didn't want to announce it. Do you know what I mean? Like they were just like, you know, we, we're not going to have any big news stories. Um, well, yeah. Which seemed to be intentional. I mean, I, I was at the, the one comic panel I managed to make it to this year mm-hmm. um, was the first DC Nation panel. Mm-hmm. And Dan Didio started the panel by announcing that he had no announcements, which just seemed really big somehow <laughs> you know, I know, but you know what I mean like the, the, that his that he starts the panel by saying you know there will be no news announcements here did everybody go ah and just walk out of the room or I mean no like, everyone stayed around I mean it course. was a very it was a very strange panel I mean they were like who here likes you know the Superman walking across America story and people are like it's awesome and they seem to genuinely think that which kind of blew my mind because I hate it so much I, I <laughs> Well, I, I can't. I can't really understand why people like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just seems so tonally off with Superman that I, I, I I'm, I'm kind of mind boggled that people are like, sure, that's a good story, right? Um. So, but no, it, it, it's this. This felt like the, the San Diego where, if nothing else, the comics people have realized how important or unimportant they are nowadays to the. Not only to the convention, but to the majority of people who go to the convention. Because I think that's the real shift. I think the real shift this year was because the, the media companies were selling things, mm-hmm. that it took money away from comics. And I think that's the shift. I think the shift is that people are have demonstrated that they are more interested in spending their money on things that aren't comics. Well, this is probably where our um, the goofus and gallant nature of our relationship probably comes in handy, but uh, who, what, what, what was, what were the media people selling down there? Like shit, toys. Um, well, okay, there was the toys. There was the Mattel toys, and that that's no, been no, going but like, no, but like but... BBC America were selling Doctor Who toys. Um, oh, I see. Warner Brothers, I think, had toys in their booth. They had something that they're selling in their booth. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, they weren't just. It wasn't just you know here's a free Dexter bag. It'd be you know, and you can get this Dexter keyring or whatever it was. Like there there was a, there was an element of actually you of know, actually selling shit. Of actually, of actually, yes, you don't just get this for showing up. Right. Yeah, that's that's pretty shit. Um, pretty awful. I, I was not, blissfully, I was not paying attention to, to that. So I think that this is going to be a tipping point San Diego, although it really is kind of, uh, you 
could have seen this one coming from like a long ways away. Yeah, I, I think this like, is the one that people have been expecting. If yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure if they were expecting it this year. No, which I don't so, think which so. Which sounds kind of ridiculous, but I really, I really think, I mean, it took me by surprise, but it, it did feel just, I don't know, I didn't expect it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. It does make sense to me because, in a way, again, it's that you know, the 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 paradox that everyone I think walked away and wrote about is a good chunk of the floor was dominated by you know Walking Dead and Scott Pilgrim stuff, and those are both properties that came you know that are homegrown from within comics, you know, and they're being developed. They're it's sort of the perfect like this points to this future of like, Hey, comics, good comics being developed by, you know, in Hollywood by people who seem to really care about it. And so it seems like that would be the height of, you know, the exact opposite of, you know, Oh, and, you know, please show up for the, you know, burn notice panel or the, you know, we've got the, to go way back you know, we've got the Star of Time Cop here. You know, I mean, or, or no, what was it? Was it was Time Cop? What was the Van Damme movie that you know? Sort that was of Time Cop. No, that was Time Cop. Was that that kind of started yeah. the whole celebrity at Comic Con thing, or Hollywood's promoting an upcoming property at Comic Con? Um, I don't think it really took off until the Lord of the Rings stuff. But uh, but you know, I I feel that like you look at it and you're like, okay, so this should be the year that comics and Hollywood are most are not only in bed together, but in theory, they're having the most awesome sex they've ever had. And in fact, it was really just more the the weird, strange year that, com- you know, Hollywood decided to dump comics as its girlfriend and, and, and nobody really knew why. You it's, know? Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I think Douglas Walk had a, a much more positive comics have had a great year experience than I did. Uh, mm-hmm. In part because of the Scott Pilgrim and Walking Dead mm-hmm. uh, media, but it just—I don't know if it just—it seemed very—it seemed watershedy. Yeah, no, I well, I, I don't know. I was only there from Tuesday to Thursday, as I said, and I had my own things kind of going on, my own <laughs> agenda. I like the way you said that. I had my own things going on. <laughs> I'm not going to pay attention to this convention. I've got my own shit to do. No, 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 no. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mean that. Hopefully it doesn't come off as a totally up my ass kind of way. But I, I, I mean, I just mean that in the sense of like, I think it's fair to, to, you know, one of the things that's amazing about Comic-Con is it, many people are there with many di- different objectives. You know what I mean? Like my objective is different from somebody standing in line at Hall H uh, and we're both different from your objective and you know all of us are very different have very different objectives from the guy who's you know cosplaying as a stormtrooper or somebody who's just there to hit the 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 quarter bins so i mean i don't i you know i'm only just saying that in the context of there was so much of of comic con that i missed because i was either trying to you know trying to find the person that i was supposed to interview and interview them or i was trying to meet up with an editor that i was trying to pitch my work to or you know there were the few points where i ended up wandering around the floor with were were kind of few um and so there was never a sense of there was never a sense of um 
I, I didn't have the luxury of kind of having San Diego kind of wash over me. And, you know, that's kind of how I, you get a sense I, of. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a luxury. Well, I, mean, I, know, yeah. you, I know you didn't mean it like that, but. Right. I mean, I've, I've told you pre-recording that, um, that this was a really, like, overwhelming year for me, right. for San Diego. And I, I, this is a common complaint for many people, but this, this year was really the year that I was like, wow, San Diego is kicking my ass. Right. San, San Diego is just an insane culture all of its own, and I'm, I'm feeling so separated from reality that this is just getting weird. Right. But I, I guess my point being is is because you're being overwhelmed by San Diego, you kind of can walk out of there more authoritatively and say what the experience was. You know what I mean? I guess, yeah. So I, I so I just feel like I think that, you know, in, in terms of me, you know, my feedback with you, it's a little more difficult. It would be interesting to have in that sense to have you talk to someone like like David, who was also there the whole time and was there doing you know, some media, but was also doing his own thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and see how those things mesh up. But, you know, from, I'm just saying that I ended up being a guy who was, you know, that considering, you know, if you count preview night as the official opening of Comic-Con, which I do, I was really only, you know, my con experience really only ran 20, you know, just a little over 24 hours. And once you take out sleeping time you know it's more like 18 hours or something you know yeah, so yeah. um but I, I i again seriously i i i'm jealous of your experience this year because <laughs> i I, th- I think that what this year made me want for next year is either not going or going purely as a social thing right well and that's what i would love to do is i would love to go to the con for the whole time from a purely social angle. Cause there was times when I like, I got home Thursday night and I got to see, you know, my wife and we had a meal and I'm like, wow, this is great. This is the perfect way to do Comic-Con, you know? And then like, it was maybe a day later, I was like reading some like five way tweet exchange between like you and Sarah and David and Lauren. And I'm like, Oh man, everyone's hanging out and having an awesome time without me, you know. So it was kind of like, oh yeah, weird. no, no I, I definitely know that. that I, you know, I I thought and I was there. Which is, <laughs> no, but that, that's that's what's worth remembering. Like, there's so many people there that you can't see everyone. Um, although on the flip side, uh, San Diego was the first time I saw Laura Hudson, who lives in the same city as me, <laughs> in about two months. <laughs> Uh, which you know is just one of those weird things, but no, there, there's there's definitely an element of that, and I didn't get to see anyone as much as I wanted to, right? Which is the other thing, you know. I, I, I the person I saw most was David, and I could have, you know, had another couple of dinners with David happily, and, and you know, just shot the shit. Right. Uh, I mean, Meredith, Meredith, and I pretty much were making plans to hang out at Con, and we saw each other twice. Right. No, totally. I mean, in that sense, considering the fact that I managed to, you know. I feel like I probably, in that case, that means I probably saw you as much as Meredith did, and I was there for, you know, maybe oh, yeah. only you, a third you, of the I, time. I, I saw you more than I saw Meredith. So, I mean, I, I count myself very lucky, and seeing you, and seeing Sarah, and Lauren, everyone that I got to see, it was it was great, and I, and I felt like I even managed to squeeze more than just one meal out of it, so it was 
that sense, it was fantastic. But there's also kind of that weird, like, you know, you're home, you get sent home from summer camp early because you have poison oak or something, you know, except thanks to the internet, you still get to, you know, you can't just imagine everyone hanging out. You get to look out the window and see everyone having the the fun time. Exactly. Exactly. Even if their fun time consists of them going, oh, God, I'm so tired, please kill me now. Like, you know, it's just kind of you're kind of all in the trenches together and it's kind of, it, that's kind of sweet. So, but it's just too motherfucking expensive. That's the other thing yes. that's killing us is that's the part where I think that Hollywood has, has completely, you know, um, right on the verge of, of killing the goose with the golden eggs is that unless you are in a work for a company that is willing to cover the hundreds and hundreds of dollars for your room, or I don't know, you know, I guess if you stay for the whole thing, it's very easy to see it breaking a thousand bucks. You know, you're you're either you're either way out in the middle of nowhere, and even then, you're still paying like a huge chunk of money. Yeah, I mean, you you were out in the middle of nowhere, and, and that was. I, and even if it, even if for some reason you're not paying a huge chunk of money, being out in the middle of nowhere, and you probably are, mm-hmm. you will be in order to get to the con. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, I was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I just just actually getting there right. cost you a lot of money. Yeah, to the like Wednesday night, I didn't have to. In in theory, I did not pay for my hotel room. I I threw some some money to to the person whose couch I was sleeping on, but it was a thirty dollar cab ride from the convention to the hotel. Yeah, it's 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 yes, it's it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if it wasn't for the, and the only reason why that, I mean, that sounds crazy, of course, and it is, but you know, by contrast, that seems to be better than paying 400 or $500 for a hotel room. You know? Well, well, here's the thing. I, I was staying in the, the hotel Salomar, mm-hmm. which is four blocks from the convention center. I mean, really, really close. Right. Um, for the amount of time I spent in a hotel, mm-hmm. I could have stayed anywhere. Well, see, that's it. I mean, but it helps that you were close because you were able to, that's the thing that, you know, at least can make it easy of like, if you just, even if you just run back and you just a place to have your stuff, but yeah, no, for, for you and most of the people who are at con, um, you know, the, the people who are actually working, you know, it's kind of, it makes sense that they're staying two blocks away because, frankly, they're up until, you know, one or two in the morning and then they have to get up, you know, within five to six hours of that, you know, if they're lucky. Um, and and the idea of like, okay, now it's 2 a.m., I'm going to spend 30, you know, $30 and 20 minutes in a cab so that I can go home and sleep for, you know, four hours and then get up and do this all over again is is really stupid. Well, my, like, weirdest moment like that was um, the night of the Eisners. And this was actually the same night as, as last year where I had the weird night. Obviously, the Eisners are the, the, <laughs> the night where thing, weird things happen, where um, I ended up working until 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, but I, so I went to the Eisners, and then from the Eisners, uh, a bunch of us went to the Oni Press party. Mm-hmm. And then Douglas and I left the Oni Press party, and um, it was at that point... 12.30 maybe mm-hmm. and I knew I had all this work to do right? and I had this moment of all I really want to do is go home and sleep Right. all I want is to climb into the, the bed and sleep because I know I'm getting up at 7 o'clock Oof. and I'm tired and I you know but I have all this work to do 
Right. Should I just get up? Should I go to bed now and get up earlier, or should I just try and work? Right. And you know, I I decided I might as well just try and get. I, my theory was I'll try and start it and then not finish it and just keep going. And then I was working till four o'clock in the morning. Oof. Um. But I, have I told you this? I was working. It, I went to the hotel and I was sharing the hotel room with the people from Techland. Right. Uh, and they were all asleep because it was, you know, by the time I went to the hotel, it was, it was one o'clock in the morning. They were asleep. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I can't work here. They're asleep. Right. So what I'll do is I'll work in the foyer of the hotel. And so I, I went to the foyer, not realizing that Max and Magazine were having their party in the hotel that night. <laughs> Did I not tell you this? No, no, not at oh, all. So, Maxim Magazine, um, I cannot speak to whoever works at Maxim, but the people who attend the Maxim party <laughs> on the foot traffic uh, who walked past me that night uh-huh. uh, are exactly the sort of people you would imagine. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the eye-opening and just depressing moment of the night was... These two women go by, and they're—I mean—they're wearing like shorts that are basically don't exist, mm-hmm. and tank tops that basically don't exist. Mm-hmm. And this is not like the appalling thing. The appalling thing is this guy comes behind them and says, oh, "Show, oh. show oh. me your tits," and they do. Oh. They don't say, you know, what or no. They don't say anything. In fact, they do it, and then they go, and he like guffaws, and I'm like left there thinking. What, what, what is this world that exists that I clearly don't exist in? Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's so alien to my entire life. Yes. Um, Thank goodness. Uh, no, but really, that it's, it's, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Right. I am already exhausted mm-hmm. in a sort of altered state of reality, and this is unfolding in front of me. And it was just one of those, uh, okay, I don't know what to make of everything that is happening right now. <laughs> You know, I like this entire convention has broken my brain. Right, right. Well, and but the worst part is, is you can't actually say that you began hallucinating. That just no, that actually happened. happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No. And then, okay, so I, all this is going on. I'm tweeting as much as anything to keep myself awake. Uh, and then the ambulance comes, and a stretcher gets taken in the, in the, the elevator. Uh-huh. And I'm, tweeting, I'm like, "Ha! Huh, someone partied too hard." And like half an hour later, this. The ambulance guys come out, and there's this five-year-old boy, like strapped to a ventilator, tied into the, the stretcher, being carried out. And I feel like shit for making the joke about you know someone partying too much. And then I see his mother carrying, I'm guessing his baby sister, mm-hmm. like behind them, and she's just in tears. Mm-hmm. And it, like that just made everything more surreal. This is happening at the same time as the Maxim party, right. you know, at the same time as Con. The whole thing weird, you know. Wow. Wow! Yeah, it's, no, that's it's one terrible. of those incredibly overwhelming nights where you're mm-hmm. just like, "What? <laughs> what is going on? What?" Ah, uh, well, you know, if they ever pick you up, you know, make you the uh, executive showrunner for Crash, the TV show on Stars, you'll have like an epic third season <laughs> episode in there for you. you Thanks. I, that's that's what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> the next night was the sci-fi party, the Entertainment Weekly party in in our hotel again. Uh huh. Um, so I, I, this is a night where, thank God, I'm not out to 12 o'clock. I, I like, I can head back to the hotel at like 10 or something. I've had dinner with, with some friends and I'm just like, and it's the last night I'm there as well. So I'm thinking I'm heading back. I'm going to try and get some sleep. You know, I, at this point I'm completely exhausted. Um, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back and call my wife 
So I'm outside the hotel room because uh, Peter and Steve are working in the hotel room. Like, they don't need to hear my conversation with my wife. I'm going to do it for you. So I'm, I'm on the phone with my And, like, the cast, the entire cast of Warehouse 13 walks past me while I'm on the phone. <laughs> it's okay. And I'm like, this is kind of surreal. This is really weird. And then, um, God, I can't remember her name. Someone from, uh, like, someone from Lost. And, and who's been in other stuff as well. Like, I see an elevator. And then Peter Ha, the, the tech line, my tech line editor, like leaves and like two seconds later tweets I was just in the elevator with Nathan Fillion (laughs) this is really surreal again this this is very very odd (laughs) uh yeah that's and and see this is the thing that's kind of a drag is I think that when those experiences happen they are so odd and surreal and they are so um infinitely repeatable in the sense of like, those are stories that you can kind of tell everyone sort of that. I think that's kind of the problem with, in a way, part of the problem with Comic-Con is it's really rough for us to, and by us, I mean, I don't know, nerd culture or whatever to kind of give up the whole, like, yeah, but I totally got to, you know, ride the elevator next to Nathan Fillion or whatever, you know, like that's kind of a weird it's a it's a very cheap high, but it it's the sort of thing that you can actually walk around and tell people, and they're kind of like, "Wow, that's kind of interesting." Yes, you're in the elevator, and there's millions. But it's a really weird thing because um, for all the press rooms, like I'm meeting and talking to Lucy Lawless or Morena Baccarin or um, right. Valley, or and that all seems normal in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like I feel like I'm having conversations with them mm-hmm. in a way that uh, CCH Pounder from Warehouse Thirteen. Like, waving at me as I'm on the phone to my wife and she's walking to the elevator past me just because she's being nice does not. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that seems more surreal than me spending half an hour talking to Lucy Lawless. Well, I I guess because that's that weird, like, it's your job kind of thing. Yeah, I guess, like, it's outside of the context that is is easily understandable. But, yeah, yeah, like, that sort of thing blew my mind more if that makes sense. (laughs) No, I, I do totally get it because because there's that real there's that real random element to it, you know. So and that's what makes it seem even more kind of you know uh, surreal and Fellini esque or you know. I, actually, the, the 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 strangest moment of the whole convention mm-hmm. was probably seeing Brian Lee O'Malley do the Scott Pilgrim press, just because like I've talked to him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like before the movie, before like you know before it was scott pilgrim dude you went and got him uh, a sandwich no, that's what i mean like mm-hmm. and so like I, I i i consider myself that i know him i wouldn't call him a friend because i don't know him that well but do you know what i mean right. so it's very strange to see him up there and you're like and i don't know it's just it made when i saw the movie much sweeter in a way because part of it part of me was really happy for him mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like when the audience stood up and applauded him after that right it wasn't just like that was a great movie, and it was. I really enjoyed it. It was also he really deserves it. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm happy for him. I'm happy yeah. this guy who's a good guy, who's talented, who's worked his ass off, mm-hmm. is getting this. Like yeah. I felt weirdly personally invested in his success. <laughs> no, I I don't think that's weird at all. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that that's uh, you know again that's kind of the that's that element of the success story of like oh my god like you know that's somebody that that you know you sort of know or talk to like 
Um, I had a weird moment where Matt Maxwell and I were talking to, to John Lehman and I was sort of catching up with him and he was kind of like, yeah, you know, the AMC guys have optioned Chew, you know, and are talking about developing it as a, as a series. And I was like, holy shit, man, that's fantastic. And I kind of had that similar moment of like, oh my God, you know, John Lehman, great guy, paid his fucking dues, like nobody's business, you know? And the idea that he, you know, his show might be the next show on, on AMC or something and or success, you know, that's kind of that's kind of really terrific. You know, there there is that feeling of that weird feeling of like, because I mean, I, I don't know John that well, frankly. The only reason why, you know, we know each other really is that we have, you know, good mutual friends in common, but we don't know each other very well. Yeah. And um, and yet, yeah, you still kind of get that feeling of like, well, that's. That's the guy that I'm rooting for, you know, just because I know him well enough to know that he's not terrible and he worked really hard, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's this weird thing where it's, I mean, for all the, well, I think this was a tipping point and, you know, Comic-Con hates comics now and blah, 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 blah. There's also this element of people who do comics for comics and not like being Mark Miller mm-hmm. getting a really, <laughs> no, but getting like a really surprising and worthwhile and exciting level of outside of comics uh, recognition and success yeah. Yeah. but really it's just like you know i'm really happy for them not you know and, and i've seen this to you before you know the mark miller thing is just i don't care that tony scott is directing them it's like i cannot find it within me to have any opinion mm-hmm. but you know john getting two options Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really happy for him. I'm yeah. really, really happy for him. He deserves it. He's really, like, he's done the shit jobs, and right. it's so sweet to see that happen for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Brian with all the all the Scott Pilgrim stuff is is makes me so happy. Like it, it's the greatest thing. It's it's I don't know. It's I, I don't know if I'm like projecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, mean, I think that's I think that's natural. I think that there is a little bit there's a there's a minor element of projection when you when you have those sorts of situations where somebody that you know but don't really know that well you know hits it big, but you know them well enough to know that they're kind of a you know that they that you feel like they deserve it. You know, it's it's I don't know if it's projection so much as an idea about the world that we want to believe in. You know. And yeah, I, it might be. It might be that that you know, it it these people deserve success, and mm-hmm. that, that having the success reinforces our world that may, our idea that maybe, you know, it is not an entirely sucky world that is is going to eat you and kill your soul. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Which is great because that really would be the description of comics, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. So, <laughs> or or you know, some comics today. Even. Oh yeah, there's still huge. Oh yeah, God. That's for sure. No, it's 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 a really amazing little marketplace. Uh, and yeah, so seeing seeing the people who who manage to 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 win without trying to like I don't know without playing the game. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, I mean, playing the game in the like paying their dues, but not playing the game. I guess. I yeah, know. yeah. You know, there's kind of a difference. Um, well, of course, uh, me, me making that Mark Miller reference has just reinforced everyone's like stereotype about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I would have made it I, if you'd I given me myself. a chance. You do. 
you really do. Well, because this is the thing. You're, you know, for whatever reason, there's very few people that are kind of willing to speak truth to power. Or I mean, you know, I'm not, this is totally unfair to him because he's denied it before and I know I, I basically backed down so I should just shut my mouth. But, but Rich Johnson is, has always said like, yeah, no, like Mark Miller hates me and he was not my source and he's, you know, and, and I'm, I don't, I don't necessarily believe him. Mil- Miller has a whole bunch of people that generally are in his corner Um that of course, in my mind, are the guy people who totally fell for the him dropping him a letter and going like, "Hey, good on you!" and let me show you some exclusive pages, and you know, you're my best friend, and taking him out and buying him drinks or whatever. And I don't, you know, I don't begrudge them that. I'm sure there's a a, a huge chunk of people, you know, who feel about Mark Miller the way that you and I feel about. Brian Lee O'Malley or John Lehman or somebody, but there's also kind of an element of really, but he's so gaming the system and, and in a real cynical way, like, yeah, but here's the thing. People who know Mark Miller completely deny that. Yeah. uh, I have, I have not met anyone who knows him. Um, even like by that, I mean like has spent any time with him socially whatsoever, mm -hmm. which is not defend him by saying, no, that's genuinely what he's like for better or worse. Mm hmm. That he and really th- is that enthusiastic. Yeah, and, and that I think the implication is also that he wouldn't know how to game the system that well. Right. Yeah, no, I don't buy that for... And I, I, don't, I don't think people will ever come out and say, like, no, he's not that smart. But mm-hmm. there definitely seems to be, like, a, a, the pushback on the Mark Miller is playing all of you always mm-hmm. seems to be, no, he's not that good. <laughs> like, it, it never comes straight out and says it, but that is always the implication. Right. Um... Which could be like a bluff. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's kind even of even better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, I don't. I just Mark Miller at this point ha- has almost become like a a, a self fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like it, like the the whole thing about his his announcement about his announcement that didn't come and was three days late and the whole thing, uh, <laughs> like like. That become that that's so surreal, and the idea that anyone's really taken in by it—that it was going to be like the biggest announcement ever—it's mm-hmm. um, it's just funny to me now. Well, I, I mean, I'll go you one further. I mean, to me, there's a very thin line between you know Mark Miller doing Nemesis for Marvel Icon and what Malibu Entertainment doing Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, I, I, no, I, I don't, I'm not even sure there's a a thin line. I think everything Martin Miller does for his creator own things, um, is, is platinum entertainment, is, uh, proof of concept for movies. I, I, I clearly, definitely do not, like, even vaguely doubt that. Right. Um, And I think that any defense he may have, uh, to the contrary is just that, like, it's a defense. Uh, and I think that if he was just more honest about it, (laughs) That uh, I think the internet would break in half. I think you yeah. just came out and said, you know, no, you know, I really want to make this into a movie, but I, you know, I'm publishing it as a comic first. Right. People would be like, what? Why do you hate comics? But it's it's <laughs> well, quite clearly what he is. I mean, he was talking about Nemesis the movie before the first issue came out. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I, the idea that he tries to deny it boggles my mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know, and that's and to me, that's that's the thing of like, you know. 
the people who like are sitting there talking about how terrible it is that people are using the comic book industry as just a way to yeah but you see mark miller escapes that because mark miller was making comics before that quote unquote do you know what i mean like he, he get he gets around it because platinum or radical or whatever they they might use creators who have worked in comics for years. You know, right. uh, Radical uses Rick Remender all the time, They're using Peter Milligan, They're using all these creators. Yeah. But the company has the mission statement of, we're working with Hollywood. You right. know, and same with Platinum. The company was invented for this. It doesn't matter that Fred Van Lente wrote Cowboys vs. Aliens, which right. no one remembers. But right. yeah, Fred Van Lente wrote Cowboys vs. Aliens. No, I was, uh, was going to mention that, in fact. I, but it doesn't matter because, like, if Mark Miller formed a Miller World company now, I think people might be more, you know, uh, we're not sure. But the fact that he's putting it out through Marvel, and people are just like, it's a comic thing. And it's just coincidence that it all ends up like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, sure. I mean, I, that's the thing where it's like, again, I like, I, I see why you're saying it, why you say that that's, why people perceive that that's the difference. I, of course, think that there's no real difference i don't think there is any real difference either but i think there's a perceived difference sure sure which is which is important in stuff like this but you know it's it's i've I've gotten past the point where i'm even like well good on mark for being a success do you know what i mean because i just don't think that i'm not that interested anymore right like my expectation whenever he announces any project is that he's doing it for a movie right well, I mean, I'll go you one better. I've stopped. I mean, I realized I haven't, I haven't read any of his books in forever, and it looks like I'm not really seeing any of his movies. So, I mean, like in that sense, I'm like, dude, you know, so be it. That I, I have to admit, I was kind of uh, interested in seeing Kick-Ass uh, on, on the big screen, but I didn't bother to read the comic, and I don't think that you could really even me to read the comic I guess in a way that uh, is kind of surprising considering I like John Romita Jr. but I don't my standards for what I'll watch on on a, on a movie screen weirdly are kind of I guess in a weird way I don't know how to describe I read tons of crappy comics but I'm not if it's going to be a crappy comic that's being made with the idea of turning it into a movie fine I'll just watch the fucking movie you know like, I, I don't need to participate in the scam that is, oh, now it's one thing and now it's another thing. And I, as a result, I get to be the person who, you know, can be like, hey, I'm one of the few, you know, people who bought Therese Gibson's Mayhem number one and read it. You know, it's when it finally gets. Although you did. I know. You loved, you loved Mayhem number one. How could you not? Was, really? Was there, was there ever Mayhem number two? I think there was. I think. Really? Maybe, did, did, he, did he finish the series? I don't. I don't. I don't. Quick to Wikipedia. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I actually don't care that much. What? All right, I'll go. Jesus. Uh, um. Yeah. No, I think he shipped them, and of course, people were like, "Eh, who cares?" I mean, maybe it was like maybe he did like two issues out of three, and then quit. I I know that there was another issue. Just yeah, but I mean, I while I totally get what you're saying, my counterpoint to this is I am more interested in reading Cowboys vs Aliens, knowing that Fred Van Lente wrote it than, you know, single gas meter. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's... it's. I'm curious what someone who I, whose work I like would do with this idea, which is not abhorrent to me. Wait, who, which, who are we talking about now? 
Fred Van Lante. Oh yes, Fred Van Lante. Yes, he is not abhorrent. Um, but I think I I missed the thread because I was reading about Tyrese Gibson's mayhem. So uh, I'm sorry. What 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 were you? What what was the gist of this? Like you're you're interested in? You didn't read comic Cowboys and Aliens, the comic book, though, did you? No, that's what I'm saying. Like I I but I I am more predisposed to do that. Mm. Um, because of Fred Van Lanty being the writer. Right. Than it would be if anyone else had written it. Because I like Fred Van Lanty as a writer. Yes. No, you no, know, no. I'd, exactly. I'd be interested to see what he could do with that concept. Right. Well, in it's, theory, you should be able to get your hands on a copy of that pretty easily, right? Maybe. Possibly. I mean, it was pretty much more or less like giving out free to comic book retailers. So you would think if there's anything that you could find super, super easily, it would be... Well, I thought it was only given out free to certain retailers. I don't think it was like fully distributed, was it? Uh, I, I thought they shipped it huge, huge amounts of it uh, everywhere. And then, you know, like what the retailers did with it, a lot of them dumped it and, you know... But I, I don't know. Is is this what you're looking up now? Because I think this would be probably better than... Let me see here. Do, 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 do. I, was, I was going to go to eBay to see how many, um, how many of the I, issues of Mayhem actually came out, but I wasn't going to bother. Uh, Let's see. Wow. Wikipedia fails me horrifically. Seriously? Like, dude, really? Maybe, maybe it's been heavily edited or also, something. Holy crap, Harper Collins are not involved? Really? Yeah. Did they get republished by well, Harper Collins? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> also, did you see who the artist is? Uh no. Wait. Dennis Calero. Dennis oh, Calero. Exactly. I mean that's that's a really interesting creative team. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty interesting. Well, I you know, I mean and maybe maybe it's awesome. But as I recall, the whole gist of it was it came out and, you know, part of the reason why they made it, you know, it ended up being a top-selling graphic novel was the idea that the publisher bought all the copies and essentially shipped them as gifts to other retailers, as gifts, I guess. Isn't that what Platinum Studios did? I, see on the like, I remember it sort of existed in a weird way. <laughs> Let's see if it says here under the... Uh, Scott M- Mitchell Rosenberg created Cowboys and Aliens in 1997 based on a one-sheet, published the graphic novel in 2006, in 2009, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, wow, it really does not want to... They don't really seem to talk about some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. It, we may never know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, we may never know, or at least we'll never know on Wikipedia. I imagine if we go to Rich Johnson's site, because I seem to recall that's where I read it from, read most of the the lowdown on that. Um, and that's any more reliable than Wikipedia? <laughs> hey, you know what? Sorry, I, Rich. <laughs> I think I think that I think that Rich has has done a pretty good job of bringing bringing Bleeding Cool up to the level of. If not entirely reputable, um, worth following, I guess. You know, I, I think I, Bleeding Cool does not get the um, credit it deserves. Yes, that's. I, I, what I, I'm I really to shoot don't think it does. I think it's. I think it really reaps the um, negative reward. Rich's name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so too. But as far as I can tell, a lot of people read it. A lot of people. Oh, you know, a lot of people on the website to it, and I think you know, I think he's got. He's got good, hungry instincts. I mean, he's also got some real, I don't know, 
there's things that drive me nuts about about his approach to stuff certainly but you know but i think that i think his instincts in terms of what makes a story or what might be interesting um are pretty good when they're not you know being dumped into like you know how can i pimp my publisher's comic book this time you know kind yeah of but at the same time i i think that's uh i think he's kind of stuck with that yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, like, I, I, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think that's his choice. Shall no, 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 I agree, and I don't. I, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to praise the guy, not to bury him, because I think yes, when Bleeding Cool him. started up, yes, I shall, because I think when when Bleeding Cool kind of started up, the general re- reaction was kind of like, "Ugh, that's not going to last very long," or it's going to be mighty crap. And I don't think that I think I think both of those assumptions have been proven to be pretty untrue. So I, I was really happy for him when he got Brendan on board. I think like as soon as you get the second writer, mm-hmm. I think it be, it has more validity. Do you know what I mean? It, it, maybe it's just a, a, a birth. No, but I think it is. I think it be, I think you can actually say, look, we're we're a real site, right? right. As opposed to before, I think most people were like, well, you know, Rich is blackmailing the publisher of Avatar or whatever. <laughs> and I know that's not what he's doing. I know that's not what it is. But you know, right. I, I think there's there's. It, I think there's lots of people who are like, how does he get this? Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, that that never would have occurred to me, but I'll be I'll happily repeat it. You know, I've exactly. I've, I will happily tell people from now on. Exactly. You know, I saw him a few times at San Diego, and I didn't actually come over and and introduce him. Say hi. So I was in the middle of the um, the burn notice roundtable. Uh huh. And Rich walks in and sits down next to me. He's never met me. He doesn't know who I am. Um, and I'm like, are you Rich Johnson? He's like, yeah, so we introduce ourselves. And it's like, oh, hi, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, so yeah, I can just sit down and use my computer here, right? And I was like, no, you, we're about to talk to Bruce Gamble. <laughs> like, you know, this is a, a pressure. But he's like, oh, oh, and like he just disappears. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like if he could have done it in like a cloud of smoke, it, he would have. <laughs> That's and then for awesome. the rest of the weekend, I was like trying to find him at the Avatar booth because I was like, that's where he's based, right? It's at the Avatar booth. And right. he was never there. Huh. That's really funny. Um, yeah, he was, I don't know if it was last year that he was at San Diego or maybe it was Comic Con. It must have been last year. I saw him at a con. The last con I saw him at, he sort of seemed kind of harried and. Uh, I don't know, flop sweaty in a way that made me somewhat leery about going up and, and introducing myself. But I kind of wish I had, because he seems generally, um, uh, I don't know. He, he just generally seems like he's on top of what he's doing generally. And I, 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 I think he gets a, a lot of shit that I don't want to say that he doesn't deserve, because I think a lot of people give him shit for reasons that are valid for them. Right. But I think, I think the, I think the positive that he brings are sometimes entirely overlooked. Agreed. In favor of the negative. Because yeah. uh, I, I think that, for better or worse, and it's probably for worse, no offense to Rich, he's the closest thing comic journalism has to, like, a real journalist who will dig and get to the bottom of the story. I agree. I totally agree. We need, we we definitely need more of it. And I appreciate the fact that he does that, sometimes to the point of, you know, past the point where he could have gotten away with not, so... You know. Yeah. Oh, and there's, he's definitely in, like everyone. He has you know his favorite subjects, and he has things that mm-hmm. aren't interesting to anyone else that he will just keep talking about. 
Right. But or, um, yeah. But you know, everyone does. You, that's that's kind of the nature of the the game. <laughs> Indeed. I, you could tell if you're watching The Wire a lot. I keep on talking about the game. <laughs> oh, I should have known. I it's funny. I, I so where are you at in The Wire? This would be great. Oh, to I'm, talk I'm, about. I'm still only like midway through season three. I, I got completely derailed by like. Uh, comic-con planning and, and just lots of other things going on that is okay because season three and season four are so awesome that is just i'm i i i envy you and i've watched the series at least twice i guess so um that, what, is, what, that is great. what are you watching right now so as we as we leave this podcast to a close but what are you watching these days uh these days like Edie and I are just burning our way through weeds, uh, no pun intended. Um, and that's kind of it. Like it's sort of summer rerun season. So did, did you ever get into Doctor Who? No, no, we still haven't. The, the reason I say this is the most recent season, the, uh-huh. the one where uh, Stephen Moffat took over, mm-hmm. um, just ended up hanging together really, really, really well. Uh-huh. Uh, much better than I expected. Uh, and I think had the strongest writing since the the reboot, if not ever, because let's face it, before the reboot, it wasn't the most well-written show in the world. Right. Um, and I, I, there's some fat to the season. It's still only like 13 episodes, but I think you could probably cut two or three out of them. Mm-hmm. But it's really, like, I really, really recommend it to you. That, you know, I, I imagine I'm I'm going to have to, to watch them at some point. I should go back to, you know pretty much just start grabbing stuff from the reboot and start moving forward I, if honestly if i were you i'd start from this season because <laughs> I, I think no because i think if you see start with this season you will get the best of it and it's got the best chance of winning you over and then you can go back and revisit anything there's nothing this season that spoils anything for the previous seasons hmm. okay well uh maybe that is what i will do because this, it... this this season is literally a reboot of the show right uh is it is it out on DVD yet, or no? No, I think it's next month it comes out. On DVD. Oh, okay. Well, once it's once it's, it's out on, on DVD. iTunes. Yeah, um, I'm just. I, I'm... I think it might also be on BBC America's site. I'm uh, not sure. What's that? It might also be on BBC America's website. Oh, interesting. Well, maybe I'll look into that then. It, it's it's more just the the case of if it comes out on DVD, I can rent it from the video store, and I don't feel like plunking down the money. This is the thing that kind of bums me out is that if iTunes allowed you to rent TV episodes rather than just purchase them for an egregiously high price, I would be all over that. They would totally make money off me. But, um, you know, the whole thing of like having having to, to plunk down, you know, two to four epi- four dollars for, uh, you know, an episode of uh, the shield or something that is then that you're only going to watch maybe once or twice and then it's stuck on your hard drive forever. I'm just, I'm not so down with it. Oh, what did, what did you think of the lost epilogue? Whoa, hang on. I was just getting, I was actually trying to, I don't know if you heard any of that. I was trying to find out if Dr. Who had, was on the BBC America website and BBC America just started playing in my headphones. <laughs> so what I heard is this, what do you think of the last epilogue? And then his voice went, tonight on BBC America. <laughs> it was very disturbing. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing. I only saw the part that was on Jezebel, uh, which is about three minutes of it, but I really liked it. Really? It's three minutes? I thought they had the full thing. Maybe they did at some point. Now they only have three minutes. Oh, it, the okay. whole thing was online for a bit and got pulled really quickly. 
Oh, well, then I was super lucky because I believe I saw the whole thing. Like it's like twelve minutes, minutes or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think I saw it. And was it, it was, good? Well, it depends on what you mean by good. I mean, I I, I thought that there were things that um, there were things that I I found charming to it, and there were also things that I found deeply, essentially cheesy to it. Like, well, it, hi, it's lost. Right, exactly. But but. You know, um, there were bits and pieces where they threw things in that I thought were, like, really, really funny. Uh, and they played with, you know, honestly, whenever you get anything close to, you know, talking about the Dharma Initiative and someone, you know, basically, like, turns on something on the TV, it's all but guaranteed that there's, you know, I'm going to have a great time. So, you know, I thought they did an, an okay job at, like, hitting, like, six or seven little different bits or pieces. Um, there was something a little begrudging about it. Like, you know, like it, it really was just kind of a, like, okay, what's the simplest way that we can come up with that's going to answer as many things as possible. And then they kind of went, okay, and what's the, just so we're not totally lazy, what's the one way we can take that one step farther. And then they did it. And it was, you know, it was kind of fun, but I was kind of curious because I, I was sure that you, Mr. Tech Media Savvy Expert, would have seen the whole thing by now. So, I, I, I honestly, I'm not that like I was interested enough to watch the thing that when it was right in front of me, but I, I'm not at the I'm going to search it out. Say it's just yet. Yeah, I've, no. been, I've been too much to watch right now. You're saying like it's all summer season. I'm still writing about that stuff, like Warehouse 13 and Eureka and. Haven and blah 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 right. blah. Right. Although, best television news of the year. Yes. Venture Brothers is coming back next month. Yes, a lot of people very excited about that. You have seen that, right? <laughs> Jeff, if any if any television show was made for you, it's the Venture Brothers. Dude, I know. I I've been told this, and and I believe it. Here's the problem. Here, here's the thing. You could buy the box set, and I can tell you right now, it would be money well spent for you. You know what, Graham? I will. I'm going to break your heart and blow your tiny mind. You bought it. No, watched it, haven't you? I have the first two seasons on the shelf right next to me as we're speaking. Well, why have you not watched it? I don't know how to answer that question, really. Um. Uh. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, the closest I can come is it's a complex tonight. calculus. Watch it tonight. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. What are you doing tonight? I'm watching Weeds with Edie. Okay. Okay. Watch Weeds, make one episode. <laughs> Seriously. All right. One episode. That's all I'm asking. Dude. Okay. I will. I will. This is one of those weird situations where... I, Edie just doesn't, isn't really down with animation. I kind of get it. I sort of get it because I'm sort of, I you know come and go. Kate, but... Kate's not incredibly down with animation either. And yet loves the Venture Brothers with a passion that is insane. You know what you can, you know what you can do to convince uh, Edie to watch the Venture Brothers with you? Yes. Tell her that uh, Carl's husband is one of the main characters. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. <laughs> 
One of the characters, Brock Sampson, is Lance. See, this is it. I saw the first episode, and the instant you said that, I'm like, oh my god, yes, that opening sequence with him, that's totally Lance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's completely Lance. Yeah, oh my god, that is so funny. Um, but I think she's yet to meet Lance. Really? Yeah, I they... thought she'd met Lance. Mm-mm, I don't think so. Oh, well, that's a problem. Yeah, see, that makes it a little more difficult. But that year where we were running around and spending time with them, I don't think that... I think that was the same year that Kate and Edie were there, but I think we spent all that time with them before Kate and Edie showed up. And then, that, that might have been the case. Yeah, and then and then after that, it was just... It was a free-for-all. Who, who knows what happened for the rest of that con? I honestly can't remember. <laughs> my brain shut down like, like I, something happened I'm not quite sure no seriously I remember the first couple of days of con and then I remember Edie and Kate showing up and I remember seeing Edie and then it was just kind of like and scene like I'm like really uh, I was that, in- that's, is that not the con where I, what I remember from that con is having dinner with you Carla David Brothers maybe and Jonah Wyland's walking in the middle of it because is that not the same con as the, my crazy Jokasada experience that I think so. That is yeah, the same. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. right. That I remember that dinner. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. That and the joke side of thing, and that's pretty much. Well, it. see, that's it. I remember that dinner. I remember uh, J.K. was there at that dinner. J.K. Well. was there, so he yeah, was exactly. So um, I, I, Ooh, rem- I, I did not see at all this year. Really? Uh, I would have loved to, but again, did not see him at all. Yeah. Well, he came in on Friday, so I didn't see him at all either, which kind of broke my heart. But uh, I, have, I have to tell you, because I've just looked it up, by the way, um, the Venture Brothers episode you want to watch that I think you'll get the most out of mm-hmm. is in the second season, and it's called Escape to the House of Mummies Part 2. <laughs> Be warned, there is no Part 1. <laughs> Yeah, everyone says that the second season. Well, and you've said second repeatedly, season, second, second season is much better brilliant. than the first. Better. Yeah, but um, yeah, it, it, honestly, it's it's a show, it's an episode that you will watch, you will enjoy, and then you might end up immediately rewatching <laughs> uh, because it's a time travel episode that doesn't necessarily tell everything chronologically. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, I and also features um, Edgar Allan Poe and Sigmund Freud, uh, and I think Caligula as well. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I'm going to change subject dramatically before we jump because I'm willing to bet you have it not seen it. But Inception, have you seen it yet? I have. Not, I have not seen it. Uh, and again, this is one of the things that there have been many, many, many plans, and they have all entirely fallen through. Wow, that's kind of well. I know that you're probably not that hot and bothered to see it. No, I, I, I want to see it purely because so many people have told me. Uh, that they love it. Not even that they think I like it, but that they love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That I'm just, at this point, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'll be I'll be very curious, particularly if you and Kate go, because I can almost see you guys splitting the difference where Kate will really love it and you'll be entirely cold about it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for recommending that I go and see something I wouldn't like. Well, I... No, thanks. <laughs> I, at no point did I ever say that you would like it. I said quite clearly from the very first time I mentioned it on Twitter. Like, I'm really dying to know what Graham... Yeah, I thought, I thought that was funny that you were like, I don't think Graham's going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Graham's thing like, because I don't think he's going to like it. Totally. Totally. So I'll be, I'll be quite curious. Um, uh, okay. Well, that, that would probably close that up. Wow, so we spent a lot of time talking, and I'm like, I think... I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure if we talked about anything. Exactly. 
Exactly. We did it very well. I mean, I certainly was entertained, but like, yeah, the, the laser I, again, focus. Again, your listeners, can you tell us if we should do these like more often so that we actually can focus on something for a change? <laughs> or, like this once every two months where we just talk at each other for an hour. Uh, say nothing. Which would you like? It, put it to vote. Dial 1-800-KILL-JASON-TODD. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad there was there was never really any other kind of option like that, was there? There must have been, wasn't there? No, because like was the whole thing not that afterwards someone like they pretended or said that someone had completely gamed the system, and so it was it was pointless. Uh, I don't I don't know. I that, mean that that was that's what I remember. I remember afterwards that it was seen as an experiment failed because someone had essentially faked, like broken the system by programming some computer or something to just continually dial one number maybe maybe i mean the the gist that i got of it that was the 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 story that made more sense to me was in talking to hibbs about it he was like yeah i voted for him to die because i didn't think they'd do it you know it was kind of like you know like this is an option you actually get to vote for you've never seen this before and it's never going to happen so let's vote for it and then it happened it was like everyone was like wow really huh how about that but, like, you know, what what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> no, but there really was that element of they won't do it. They've done it. Oh. <laughs> you know, because like if you thought about it, you'd be like, wait, I am essentially signing up for Batman to be depressed for a long time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, of course, back at the time, those of us who were at, at that point in time, we were like, Batman depressed? Awesome. We just got through like Frank Miller showing us how awesome Batman is when he's like a crabby son of a bitch with no scruples, you know. Let's see more of that. Oh no, wait. It's horrible when everyone else does it. Why is that? You know. And so lessons were learned. Or were they? Well, like you said, because let's think, let's think about the Batman we've suffered through up until Grant Morrison took him over. Oh, have you been reading Return of Bruce Wayne? Yes. Have you read the fourth issue? Yes. The is, Western? Is, yeah. Is Grant Morrison genuinely saying that Batman is the son of a demon? That's what I took away from that. Right. That Thomas Wayne is somehow immortal because he's done something demonic. Right. And that that means it's it's Bat, Bruce Wayne's dad, right? Well, see, that's... that's... Or is it another Thomas Wayne? I think, he's, I think he's genuinely going to follow through in this Thomas Wayne faked uh, his death story i that that's honestly what i got from issue four well it's you know it's interesting because i think i i think morrison's having a lot of fun having it both ways and for me there was kind of a weird element of you know sometimes they do these things like you you put forward an idea that you're going to do and dc kind of shoots it down and so it gets altered and then later everyone goes oh wait no that was actually kind of cool we should do that so it's like with jason todd supposed to be he was supposed to be the villain of hush and then they kind of shot that down and so he came up with another angle for it um and then afterwards they're kind of like oh no that was kind of cool let's do it and then they did the red hood it wouldn't surprise me if he you know morrison put that idea out there as the original this is where he was going to go with batman r.i.p and everyone went no 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 no. that's too kind of dark and weird and crazy and then they changed it and then went you know we take it back maybe we really should have done that so maybe they will go that direction but i i think there's also something to be said for the idea that 
Bruce Wayne uh, is dealing with that 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 Doctor Hurt is is some um, is an immortal version or quasi immortal quasi demon that 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 takes the form of various Waynes that is bound to the Wayne family the same way that you know Bruce is proving himself to have sutured the family together in all of his time jauntings mm-hmm. um and that's going to lead to a showdown that that you know but I I don't know in other words part of me kind of thinks that that maybe Morrison will do that and um but I also think that he's he's just sort of playing with it like he's you know that the idea is that he's going to say that like you know that the point of his whole Batman story is going to be essentially a rejection of the demonic elements of of Batman but but or rather by making Batman reject those demonic elements but you know sort of the larger sense of like no the Waynes are this that Batman's origin is essentially of a good person created by a good family that suffered a brutal accident as opposed to the flip side that Morrison is playing with in his sort of black massish kind of way. Um, I, I, I was so bummed out by how bad I thought George Giante's art was. It was, it was not good. Uh, and yeah. that's just, it's a shame because like he's done better work in Buffy mm-hmm. and I quite believe he did this in an incredible rush. And I also think that the inking did not help in the slightest yeah the thinking was so horrifically mismatched his arc but yeah. yeah it didn't look good and it, yeah. it's it's such a shame yeah i thought i thought so too it was one of those deals where this was i don't i i feel bad that it came out this way you know because i don't know whether it was a late script or however it worked but... well it's uh cameron dropped out mm-hmm. uh like fairly last minute which i think is the rumor is because the script was really late. Yeah, that's what I think is is I assume is is that he just went there's no way I can turn out quality work under that and I and I'm also not willing to put myself through what it would take to hit that deadline and But I mean the, the funny thing is like he killed on his issues of Batman and Robin and he did the first issue of that in two weeks. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Well, did he kill on those issues? They were okay. I, I, I think he did really well on them. They were all right. They were a little... I mean, considering the first issue was two weeks, that's amazing. Um, I was a little underwhelmed by them. They they got, perhaps unsurprisingly, they got better as they went along. But there yeah. were elements in which I thought... To me, I thought that, that, that he was too beholden to try to keep kind of a through line to Quietly's art. So I felt like he was doing a, a very Quietly-ish take on... Batman and Robin and, and frankly his like zombified Batman actually I thought looked fantastic yeah um, but it was the only one that really kind of where I felt like he was loose enough the rest of it all felt a little too I felt like he was hampering himself but maybe it was just the deadline um, so yeah no I was I was I was kind of very bummed that to hear that he dropped out but I'm not surprised either that he was just didn't want to do that to himself um, yeah I but I actually I sort of I read that and Batman and Robin thirteen and Batman seven oh one like all maybe like within two hours of each other like they'd all come I don't think they all came out at the same time but yeah I, I still haven't read seven oh one Batman and Robin thirteen I thought was wonderful and also yeah. looked beautiful oh, Razor Irving is just so good yeah 
Yeah, no. And, and it's his colors. It's definitely his colors. Yeah, yeah. His colors his, are great. His issue of Batman of uh, Return of Bruce Wayne as well is just beautiful work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Those those are fantastic. Honestly, I thought who I, uh, I'd have to relook at seven oh one. I thought Tony Daniels' work was quite strong in that too. Like he was not quite as rushed. And Tony Daniels strikes me again as someone who gets really badly uh, served by anchors. Yeah, because I when they show you his pencils online, his pencils are wonderful. Right. Right, and then he also gets inked like he's Jim Lee, which is is not a good idea. Right, yeah, yeah. No, there there's some mistake, and also I think that there's kind of a, um, you know, not everyone can do can do great under tremendous pressures and deadlines. And I have a sneaking suspicion that in Batman R.I.P. he was really under the gun because there was some stuff that went out that you're just like, wow, how did this get out? You know. Other than you just assume that they had to hit the deadline and it was like no take backs, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I get the feeling just from uh, Justice League experience and Invisible's experience that when Grant is really good, Grant is also really late. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I think so, too. Um, and I and I think that puts them in that bind of like, well, what do we do? Which is which is why I think oh you know it's very hard to look you know Morrison is the like it's impressive that he's as highly acclaimed as a writer as he has because there have been so many of his runs have been undercut by art that just didn't suit what he was going for probably yeah. because he was pushing things so late you know well also for the longest time he just he was just he had bad artists. Uh, I guess I, I I I think I think Grant is for definitely the biggest name writer who has had bad art in comics. Right, but like I said, I think there's a chunk of that where I, I feel like he ends up He's like playing. a little bit because either he's not you know. One thing that I think that that Miller does that's super smart is he obviously jockeys to make sure he tries to have a hand in getting the artists, you know? Um, I'm not sure if Morrison really fights for that very strongly one way or the other, apart from, like, getting quietly on some stuff. But, you know, like, his whole, like, the whole problem with uh, New X-Men was was kind of a a weird situation where, you know, I mean, he turned in so many scripts, and then Marvel's like, okay, well, we'll just up the production on it. And then that, I guess that's a rare time where he was under, you know... That that was the exact opposite of what we're talking about, where he got so far ahead that they everyone decided, oh, okay, we'll just give a whole bunch of this stuff and we'll switch to a bi-weekly thing. And in order to make sure we hit those deadlines, you know, we're going to give it to uh, uh, that great Serbian artist who was really just not the right guy for him. Who yeah. Was that? I, oh, God, I can't remember. I or someone? Yeah. Or someone? Uh, God, please forgive me, Internet. It's the guy, he did smoke with... Uh, with is it Alex Alex Campy? Yeah. yeah. So I can't remember his name. He also did um Soldier X at the same time as he's doing New X Men. Soldier X was the book that he had time on and his art looked so much better. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I, I actually I, I thought that, Igor Cordy, that's his name. Igor Cordy, thanks. I remember the, the, the Igor part and I couldn't remember the, the last part because I'm an idiot. Um, I, I, amazingly I did that without looking it up online. Really? I'm very <laughs> impressed. Ah. Uh, uh yeah no I mean so but but you have other you 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 have guys who were you know some of his early stuff was you know kind of journeyman dudes on on Doom Patrol or Animal well, Man exactly or whatever. I mean, yeah you know Richard Case was not 
the greatest artists in the world, you know? And, and I mean, I think it's one of those things, because when I think back to Erla Grant Morrison, I think back to Zenith, and I think Steve Yeo did oh, right. amazing art in that. Really, really good. And so for me, it was a, a it really was a, a shock to see uh, Chas Trogue and Richard Case do Animal Man and Doom Patrol because it was just, to my mind, not of the same quality. Right. Whereas for someone and then, like you know, me, ha- ha- yeah. Howard Porter doing Justice League as well, for example. Right. You know, no, I, yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, I feel like there have been a lot of pretty kind of mediocre guys. Although I, I thought Case's work to me was because that was the first stuff of Morrison I ever read. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that was of a piece, you know? Well, yeah, he, it's very interesting work. I mean, it's one of those things that like I sort of grew into, I think. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it might be something where it was the inking because I remember a couple of issues he inked himself and it looked a lot better. Right. By the way, am I, is this because I don't follow the internet very closely, but that that Zack Snyder movie Sucker Punch that's coming I, out, yeah, has has everyone else felt like it? It sounds like it's the last issue of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol turned into like some crazy two-hour movie. No, no one has said that online yet. Oh, well, do you think that's so, incredibly off base for me to think so? Or um, I think there's definitely elements of of the Crazy Jane story in there. I I don't think it's really. I don't think it's enough about it. Okay. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see, because um, you, you read When Rabbit Howls, right? The, the Trudy Chase book? Yes. I think, I, I oddly enough, feel it might be closer to a reading of When Rabbit Howls as opposed to Doom Patrol. Huh. Interesting. Well, and so in other words, it kind of hopscotched over back to Yeah, it, the it, it went back to the source, yeah. Huh. Very interesting. All right. Well, then I will be curious to see how it turns out. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I, I, sir, I'm going to call it a day because it is, it is late. Oh, I, I know. Yeah. I should go and say hello to my wife. <laughs> yes, me too. Because my poor wife is here, has been very patient since I told her that I was going to get off the phone at seven o'clock. So. Yeah. See, that that's what I because I it, for everyone who's listening, it's actually seven thirty now. Exactly. So. Yeah, now you know our secret timetable, listeners. Um, but no, I, I I think we should do this more often. Agreed, agreed. This was great, and uh, I will I will hopefully move. And, and yeah, and now that there's no like you know conventions or anything completely fucking with our schedules, we might actually get to do that. Oh my god! Because every single time we're like, let's do it more often. It's like just before San Diego, just before WonderCon, and <laughs> our schedules get entirely fucked up. <laughs> It is true, and it, and if not by the schedule, if not by the con, then certainly by recovering from the con, and then yeah. So yeah, yeah. Let's see, let, let's see how quickly we can turn this one around, around and get it up, and we'll talk about uh, doing the next. Unless, dear listener, that you don't want us to do that. <laughs> in which case, in the comments, just tell us to go away. Please. Yeah, exactly. But we'll we'll keep talking. We just won't record it. <laughs>